0: And welcome, everybody, episode 50 of the Doctrines of Red podcast. I am Drew, one of your hosts. Uh, This is an earlier show than normal, so Logan is not with us. You guys are probably thinking that I'm kicking Logan off of this podcast because he has just not been here, but it's okay. Um, I've got an awesome guest for you that uh, I know Logan is, again, going to be very upset that he missed uh, because when I told him that we were going to have Pastor Michael Clary on, he was like, oh, Michael Clary. So... <laughs> I know he's gonna he's gonna get butthurt over this, but it's all right, man. Uh, Michael, welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for uh, joining us today.
1: Thanks a lot, Drew. I really appreciate the chance to come on and talk to you.
0: Yeah, I uh, it's um, I mean just to to get us to why we're having this conversation. I uh, read your book. Uh, actually, I listened to your book. I can't say read, but uh, it's called God's Good Design. Uh, and it's actually, it's a thick boy. It's not a, uh, it's not a super thin, it's not a uh, quick read, and I wouldn't recommend anybody to quickly read through it anyway. It's got a lot of um, very uh, important, I think, biblical biblical principles that people should uh, listen to, read, and understand, and probably read again. Um, It is, I mean, if I were to sum the book up, it is the blueprint for how a christian in 2023 and on should view god's design on sexuality um man there was actually
1: that was like uh one of the the title possible titles is something to do with blueprint or whatever. oh really yeah i was thinking (laughs) along those lines
0: (laughs) that's awesome i mean well it i mean then uh work complete mission accomplished because uh it really is uh it goes into depth. I mean, you've got 11 chapters in here. Uh, each one is really making uh, their, its own argument um, using the Bible, which of course, you know, at, at any point in time now, and, and one of the greatest recommendations I would give to any new believer, or anybody that's just um, maybe getting serious with their faith is don't read a book that is not going to reference the scripture uh, and mm-hmm. give you that foundational background. Um, because, People have lots of ideas about stuff, and 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 can come up with some great, convincing arguments that are lacking the truth of Scripture, and yeah. uh, they should be thrown out. And so, uh, I definitely applaud you, Michael, for putting um, for putting the work in to do this. Talk to me about what inspired. How long did it take you? Uh, how did you get from the the initial idea to write God's Good Design uh, to it coming into fruition?
1: Yeah, great question. A lot. There's a lot of things I I could say. Um, I can uh, come at it from two angles. There's a narrative angle and then more of a just a need based angle. Um, So the the narrative is that my church is in an urban environment. So I'm in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and it's close to a university. So generally speaking, a pretty liberal area and a lot of the people that were part of my church were, um, they, so they were Bible believing Christians and they wanted something doctrinally sound and that sort of thing. But I noticed that anytime issues of sexuality came up, it would cause a lot of tension, friction, Mm -hmm. frustration with people. And I had to spend so much time giving nuance um, and caveat. I'm like, Hey, I'm not saying this and I'm not saying that, that it, uh, it really made it clunky and cumbersome to try to have productive conversations around sexuality. And so there was a, uh, uh, we actually had, um, you know, a conflict that, uh, that took place within the church mm. where people, people assumed things about what I believe and what I taught that weren't true. And Then they also drew emotional conclusions based on that. So, you know, if like, Hey, I, so I'm like, okay, I believe in patriarchy. So therefore the false, false belief that somebody might draw from that is like, oh, you, you hate women, you're misogynistic. And then you're, you're a scary person and you, you don't, that's, you're, you're not like Jesus at all. That's not the way of Christ. And. And so I was like, that's that's not true. In fact, there's nothing to be afraid of with patriarchy because God made the world this way and men and women both flourish. We both have things that we have to accept that may not be what we want. Um, but that's because we are we can be hard-hearted and rebellious. But this is a good thing. And so I kept trying to emphasize like, this is not bad. This is a wonderful thing. And, there's, and I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in many other people's marriages. This is a wonderful way that God's made us. Um, so I, I thought I needed to, I I needed to, to put it all together in one place, uh, where I could basically, I could make my case, you know, like Stephen Wolf's case for Christian nationalism. Uh, This is kind of a, a case for biblical sexuality type of book. And so, um, this could either be depending on your perspective, a positive or a negative of the book, but I wanted it to be holistic. Um, and, um, that was, so so there there's so many things that sexuality touches on because we experience all of our life through the lens of sexuality um so here i'm switching over to the more of what is the need um i've seen a lot of articles that are like short you know five thousand word treatments of some topic that I thought was really helpful um and there are some books that focus on like academic work scholarly work around sexuality and hebrew this and greek that um and there's so the stuff that I think are good or is, is pretty, uh, pretty scarce. And the stuff that I see that is bad or unhelpful, or at least maybe even just a little off the mark is everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, there, there really needs to be more voices, more emphasis on biblical sexuality. So I, uh, I initially put the material together for a class in 2018. Um, And the outline of that material is basically the same outline of the book, um, where the early chapters, I make a case for what is masculinity and femininity and how how uh, God designed the world with these relational patterns in mind. And then I apply it through a few different places. So I apply it in what is a household um, and the, the relational dynamics in a household and then fatherhood, motherhood, the differences of men and women. Um, there's the, uh, singleness, sexual immorality, sexual dynamics in the church. So I just kind of take, here's a chapter where I, I make a case where I'm applying the big concepts to a particular subject or topic. Um, and so that's, that's kind of an overview. So it's, uh, you know, one of the reviewers, um, CBMW council for biblical manhood and womanhood, um, they, they had a review of it and, the reviewer said, it's like, well, it's kind of topical in the end and uh, could be kind of a reference manual of sorts. And, you know, I don't um, I don't think it's a I don't disagree with that. Um, so I, each, especially the topical chapters can stand alone um, as a here's, here is here here is a. So the case on, the, or the, the chapter on singleness, for example, mm-hmm. uh, founders asked me to do a pamphlet for them. Oh. um, on singleness. And so I took that chapter and reworked it to where it could stand alone completely. And, um, that should be coming out, I don't know, next year or something, but anyway, a lot of the, i try to hit a lot of the different topics, um, yeah. broadly.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, you know, jumping into to singleness, you know, we, it, this isn't an order of, of the chapters of the book, but I think you, uh, bring up a good segue to jump into a little bit. Uh, I would say that, over the the course of maybe the last decade or so, there has been kind of this idea of uh, what some would call, or some would consider the gift of singleness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Churches and and organizations, ministries, um, seeming to emphasize the the appropriateness of singleness. And from my understanding, and please correct me uh, if, if I'm wrong or off the mark here, uh, is that um, they probably saw a surge of people who were not really motivated for marriage, maybe didn't even really understand the biblical reason and purpose for marriage, and so a surge of single people in their congregations uh, and then began to, in some ways, cater to singleness instead of um, maybe saying, well, maybe singleness is temporary. Maybe it's, it's, it's due to the fact that, uh, you, you haven't fully grasped the concept of marriage or God's design for marriage. Um, is that kind of what you, did you feel that or notice that, or do you have anything to add to that, that sort of idea?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. It, it was really that, that that's been something that's been pretty frustrating for me. Yeah. Because, I have a lot of being close to a college campus, have a lot of young people, a lot of single people. And um, as a pastor, I'm like, I know you, I'm connected to you relationally, and I want what's best for you. So I'm not writing from Christianity Today or the Gospel Coalition, just speaking into a vacuum. I'm speaking as a pastor mm. who loves his people.
0: Yeah,
1: And, and what I see is, Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, or whoever else, um, are publishing materials that talk about, Hey, the gift of singleness, and this is a good thing. And maybe, maybe the Lord has given you this gift of singleness and it might even be spiritually superior to being married because married people, they just, they get married as an accommodation to sexual desire. Um, but single people, you know, they have this, this higher plane of spirituality, um, And I'm like, that, that's, that's what the Catholics taught. That's like, you know, the idea of, you know, the priests uh, being celibate as though this is some spiritually higher plane, undistracted from the cares of the world. And what they do is they take first Corinthians seven and they totally, uh, divorce it from the rest of the context of the Bible. I mean, the Bible from Genesis to revelation, (laughs) you know, hammers consistently the goodness of marriage, uh, Hebrews, I think it's 13, let the marriage bed be held in honor. Um, So that's, so that's the theme. And so, you know, as you're getting like, why would they publish some of this stuff? Um, I think there's some, a number of reasons. One, I think they want to, um, cater to a growing demographic. So you've got a lot of people that are just based on the way things are in the world. They're choosing to get married later. Um, and so you have a lot of people that are, in this state of prolonged singleness, and they feel this ache of loneliness and a desire for marriage, and so they'll publish material that will give them affirmation, and mm. that gets you clicks um, on your website. Um, there's yeah. a market for that kind of message. I think there also number two is uh, there, there's a there's a desire to to sp- basically I, there's they need to, they want to make way for uh, sexual immorality and homosexuality in particular. Mm. So if you have gay people uh, and I, I don't like the terminology, gay people, because I don't buy into the orientation thing. Yeah,
0: sure.
1: Nevertheless, you would um, be
0: a big Preston Sprinkle fan, then probably.
1: I'm not a Preston Sprinkle fan. Um, you can clip that, quote it and distribute it widely. Preston Sprinkle. <laughs> uh, this man is doing harm. And I, I say this yeah. with passion and conviction. This man is hurting people. He does it under the guise of saying, hey, I want to help gay people. But whenever you celebrate and trumpet and hold up and talk about um, LGBTQ, you're basically saying, hey, here's a way for your church and your family and your parents and your pastors and your friends and everybody that you like to rush to you and give you all kinds of attention and shower you with affirmation. Who wouldn't want that? And all you need to do is say you're gay. Now, that's not what Sprinkle would openly say that he's doing, but that is the effect. So I, I would tell people do not use his material. I'm getting yeah. Facebook. I'm a little annoyed by him right now because I'm seeing these Facebook ads that show up every time. I Facebook. Oh no.
0: Cause you're talking about him. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I'm like, he's, he's, uh, yeah, he's, it's like, Hey, use this material, buy our, buy our books and go to our courses yeah. and stuff. And I'm like, no, don't, don't go yeah. to his stuff because the net effect. So let's say you have, uh, and it'd be Fascinating if it were possible to do a social experiment, but so this is just speculation. But I would say if you have two churches, Church A and Church B, that are identical in every way, Church A uses Preston Sprinkle's material in their youth, and Church B does not. Church A will end up five years down the road with more kids saying they're gay. I would guarantee it because he's it it is a is a a desire to affirm and celebrate and and coddle and pander to a population. Um, and so you, you, you cultivate what you celebrate anyway. <laughs>
0: well, side note to that too. Did you have a chance to see uh, his conversation with pastor Jared Hughes? Did you get a chance to watch any of that?
1: Yeah. Uh, so Jared Moore wrote the book. Uh, Moore, uh, Moore. Yeah. yeah. Wrong, sorry. So I endorsed, I endorsed his book. It's a wonderful book. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wonderful book. And what he does is he takes the the idea of um is homosexual desire sinful? Is it a morally culpable sin? Um, and you have the Preston Sprinkle and the Sam Alberry and the that whole crowd, revoice crowd, Wesley Hill, uh, Gary Johnson and the PCA. A lot of people are are saying this, and a lot of people that were reliably conservative Christians are saying, yes, uh, there's, there is homosexual orientation. Um, and so it is not sin or morally culpable behavior and more Moore's book basically says, yes, it is. And let me go through every text of scripture one by one. And then let me do a survey of church history of everybody that has, um, that has addressed the subject. And then it concludes it with pastoral application. Um, fantastic book. It's a very narrow focus and one that, uh, that is urgently needed. So yeah, I I saw the interview. Um, and like, the thing is like when in his conversation with Sprinkle, I mean, Preston Sprinkle uses, uh, emotionally manipulative language. Um, and it's, it it sounds pious, but it's really vague and subjective. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, 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 it obscures the issue in such a way that makes him appear and sound as though he's taking the moral high road. But that's what wolves always do. Wolves, Mm. they, they use soft language. They use um, pandering, loving, sweet speech to flatter and deceive the hearts of the naive Romans 16, 17 and 18 um, is what it says. It, it, It says, watch out for these kind of people. And they're nice guys. So Preston Sprinkle, I'm sure if I were to meet him and shake his hand and have, you know, have a conversation with him, I think he's the nicest guy around. But it's those kind of guys. They're nice. And they want to pander to sin because they want to be liked. And because of that, they whenever they get into positions of influence, um, they they crave approval and they end up deceiving people um, because they don't really have a fear of God. And they love a genuine love for what is best for people at heart. Um, So I, I think I think his ministry is terrible and I would I would hope nobody ever uses his material.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty sad too, uh, because I saw him when he came out to Bremerton when I was living out there. Um, he came out to visit one of the churches, and this was he was touring after his "People to Be Loved" book, and and I'll tell you, uh, that was my first introduction to Preston, and I, I'll give credit where credit's due. The way that he wrote "People to Be Loved." where he attacks the theology and the doctrine of guys like Matthew Vines uh, who try to to um, find loopholes in the scripture to make the claims like, oh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the homosexuality that's written about in the New Testament is, you know, it's pederasty or it's something cultural. It's not really the same as, you know, what we would consider it today. Like that book really shored up my foundations when it came to a biblical, um, take a, you know, against that type of doctrine that was being taught. So, uh, and, and I haven't read anything after that. I haven't really even been very familiar with his conferences and everything else, but what I do know and who I am familiar with is Rosaria Butterfield. I'm familiar Mm -hmm. with your book. Um, and if, if people like you, who I do respect, who I have read, uh, can make those claims against guys like Sprinkle and the things that he teaches, um I think I can still have confidence but you know like I said I don't want to throw everything out I do think that there was some value in that book uh, at least that I was able to take away from to shore up the Bible does not leave any room for any cultural understanding of homosexuality uh, that mm-hmm. was made very clear in his book but I I think and just from my own gathering of seeing his his presence online and seeing the things that he does I I do think that it's one of those instances where maybe on the outset or on the onset, his desire genuinely was to find a way to lovingly uh, rebuke people that have homosexual desires. But I feel like in some senses now his feet are too deeply planted into his movement, mm-hmm. And now he owes too much to the people that he's brought along or brought in. And mm-hmm. so now he's stuck where either he's blinded by his own pride, which is is possible, we all have that potential to do that, uh, or he's just, he's in a place where kind of like what you said, where he won't flat out come and say the things that we are saying that he believes, um, but through his company, you know, the company he keeps and the endorsements that he makes, the people that he platforms, you can't separate that when you get to that point of notoriety, because you're giving you're uh, you're giving room for someone to have a voice that's counter even though you yourself say no I wouldn't say that or I wouldn't agree with that uh, you're giving a voice and so it, it, it at at minimum it causes confusion in the body um, for the people that are truly struggling uh, and then at the worst like what you says it actually does damage uh, and I would agree with you uh, a book like that uh, or a church like that that would follow his blueprint um, I would say probably not only would the youth group have a predominant uh, group of homosexual people or people struggling with that, but would probably be woke in other areas, too. Yeah. Like, uh, But yeah, I don't want to go too much into that. I think going back to the single idea, um, you you kind of take the the position that, uh, or at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that in order to um, not only is is single kind of like a uh more of a minority maybe people are called into that uh uh opportunity to be single and possibly serve the lord in that way but but really the 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 focus is we should get married we should find someone to marry we should multiply by having children by raising godly generations uh by instilling faith into our children and 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 generations after that is that is that a kind of a correct view of of your
1: Yeah. 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 I I would say marriage is the normative vocation for the vast majority of human beings, especially Christians. And that is, and, and it is not that God wants a man and a woman to get together and to form some kind of a union, but there is a, it is marriage, sex, and babies. It's a composite gift that comes together. And so for, for most men and most women, unless I would say, unless there is some unusual circumstance that is prohibiting marriage, that is the normative vocation, and the vocation would include not only marriage, but um, if the Lord opens the womb, and in most cases He will, uh, He would provide children for them, and that is that that has been the pattern throughout history. That I mean, that it's that that is what humanity has always consisted of, until recent years, uh, where we've we've decided to. To throw all that wisdom of the ancients aside and invent this gift of singleness idea <laughs> yeah. that that we say, you know, hey, you're, you know, if you're uh, hooked on porn or something, um, and you you don't you're unwell. Say so you have somebody I would say they're like socially awkward and they don't really know how to relate well to a woman or to a man but they're looking at porn. I'm like, don't tell them they have the gift of singleness because the gift of singleness, biblically speaking, which I would call it a gift of celibacy. That's mm-hmm. an unusual calling uh, for unusual service in the kingdom. Um, and God, there there are those that, that God has called in that way, the apostle Paul being one example. But to just kind of throw that around flippantly. And if you think about, it, I, I think it just cause and effect, like how do people receive messages? So if you're if you're 25 years old and you, uh, have same sex temptations towards, um, if you're a man, you have same sex temptations attractive to, uh, to other men. Somebody talks about, uh, well, you can, you can do what Preston Sprinkle says, or, um, who are some of the others? Uh, I think Sam Albury would be, would be another example, but it's like, you can have, uh, well, Gary Johnson is, you know, you know, you know, big proponent of this, you can have a you can call yourself gay you can have a gay orientation um you can uh but but not be all all of this is enabled by this idea of singleness being just as good as marriage that's good so so is any need to mortify that homosexual temptation in order to pursue a godly union with a, a woman or someone of the opposite sex It's like, well, I don't need to mortify that desire. In fact, I've got Preston Sprinkle and Wesley Hill and and Gary Johnson and these other guys tell me the desire itself is fine. It is, it is, there's no moral content to the desire. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just like, come on, like, what are we, what what are we talking about? If, if, if a man would say he's attracted to another man, like, what does that mean? Um, I mean, I, I've got lots of friends, a lot of guy friends, and I like my guy friends, but to say one is attracted to somebody else. That means there's some sexual component. It's there's an sexual, erotic. Yep. Yeah, there, there's a romantic element. And then, okay, now we're into something unnatural. Yep. And if it's unnatural, then it is a different kind of sin. Um, I would say it'd be maybe, so, so like if a man lusts after a woman, that is a sinful temptation. Uh, it's a lust for something natural. And it does have a sanctified fulfillment in marriage. There is no sanctified fulfillment of any homosexual desire. So there's no possible union or no possible scenario where God would ever sanction a homosexual temptation of one man for another. So why would we make room for that by creating this category of the gift of singleness? When really you, you take the gift of singleness and you, you know, it's under the tree. I take out the gift of singleness. I open it up on Christmas morning and open up, here's the gift, open up. And what do I have in there? I've got lots of sexual temptation, pornography, abuse, and unwillingness to mortify sin. I mean, that's, that's what's in it. Now there might be that one in a million that is uniquely called by God for unusual service in the kingdom that would have a gift of celibacy. And I would acknowledge that as true, but to simply say anybody who is unmarried at any point has a gift of singleness, that is theologically wrong, but it's also pastorally unwise. Yeah. I'm like, Call it what it is. It's an affliction. It's a trial. It's a difficulty. That's yeah. that's fine. Uh, and you can't always control your dating options and marital prospects. That's fine. But it's it's lying to people to to create this sort of gift of singleness. I, I think it's very harmful.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of I I would categorize it almost the same way that the church uh, the church at large kind of focused on uh, you know. When, when the prime audience that was going to church was women, the worship service, the music, the liturgy became very feminized because it was it, it was kind of attracting, it was almost like the pastors are like, well, we can't get the men into the service, but we got lots of women, so let's just do <laughs> things that they like in yeah. order to keep them coming back. And I feel like it's it's very similar to that with this idea of this gift of singleness. It's like, well, instead of like fixing the problem, and and really addressing it biblically where, you know, we should advocate for marriage. We should really teach on on the blessings of that and, and God's, you know, God's fulfillment for that. Um, instead, we're like, well, you know, let's not do the hard thing. Let's just let's just keep saying, well, it's OK to be single. And mm-hmm. I actually I think you make a solid point. I think it opens the door for homosexual temptation. I think it opens the door no, for, for sure. For a trying, you know, the the natural progression would be to now affirm people, like what Sprinkle and those guys do, where they say, "Well, you know, the desire itself is not sinful." Um, to me, like proper repentance in that instance, somebody that was that did suffer from homosexual attraction and temptation, proper repentance would be to to crucify that sin by marrying someone of the opposite sex and having children. Like, right. I sounds to me like that's, that's true. That's the true act of repentance. Not just, oh, I won't lust anymore, but like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to mortify it by marrying someone of the opposite sex. Uh, And then I, you know, I think God would bless and honor that to the point where, you know, you may struggle with some lust here and there, just like a married man would struggle with lust with pornography. Uh, But you still, you know, it's, Marriage doesn't solve lust either. Like that's a mm-hmm. ridiculous idea. It it definitely helps. And yeah. it definitely is a tool that God uses, but it doesn't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, the repentance piece is 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 needs to be taught more. Marry mm-hmm. someone because you struggle with same-sex attraction. Yeah. Marry someone of the opposite sex.
1: Yeah, someone might say, well, I'm not attracted to women. I'm like, you don't need to be attracted to women. You need to be attracted to a woman. Um, and that there's attraction often happens in the context of relationships that are formed. Um, so like like open your, like just be open to developing friendships with people, of the opposite sex and, um, giving yourself opportunities to get to know them. And, and, and there, there doesn't have to be this, this Hollywood moment where the music swells and you just feel butterflies and go ooey gooey inside, um, it, it can be, it is not wrong for it to be a, a, a matter of practical obedience to say, I, this is a woman that I can build a household with a, a life with, and I love her and I don't have to feel, uh, I don't have to feel these butterflies and it yeah. you know, doesn't need to be like, you know, the notebook, Nicholas Sparks <laughs> right. movie or something.
0: Yeah. We've yeah. romanticized it too much.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's something that that's interesting that I thought about where you're talking is like, you know why do churches do this? And I can tell you why a lot of churches and pastors do this. I've not heard anybody talk about this, but as a pastor, I can tell you this, this is true. Um, the single people are the ones that have the most time and availability to serve Mm. the church. So if you've got, um, so I, I, you know, I have a church in my family or family in my church, they've got uh, eight children. Um, They don't have the same time and availability to serve the church, and absolutely, and they've got you know one breadwinner uh, feeding uh, a total of ten people. So eight children got ten people that he's that he's feeding. One breadwinner. Mm -hmm. Now you you say you take take the same kind of job that you know a twenty two year old guy just out of college making you know similar income, let's say, and you know it's that's totally possible. And you 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 uh, draw them in and woo them with messages affirming everything about their lives. And I want to tell you how great it is for you to be single, and there's no rush for you to get married um, because um, I need somebody to run the sound system. I need somebody to serve in kids ministry. I need people that have disposable income that can tithe uh, to a tithe and give to a greater degree. And the thing is, like you know, in our church, it's like I know this. I recognize this as. Not a trial, not a problem, not a complaint at all. It's just a fact of reality. When single people get married, I know, okay, the clock is ticking uh, because before long, she's probably going to get pregnant because we celebrate that in our church and a lot of people want to have babies. And then once she has babies, then there's going to be less availability and time for them to serve and uh, to be involved in different ways. And so their focus naturally will shift to their household. And I'm like, okay, that that makes it more difficult, you know, from a church leadership perspective, but I'll take it because I would much rather have uh, productive households and thriving marriages and children that are being raised up uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I would trade that a hundred times over for a few extra volunteers, you know, in our uh, sound team or (laughs) a few extra dollars uh, going into our tithes.
0: Well, yeah. And it's kind of, that sounds to me like, you know, that would be, lack of faith on, on the pastor's part. If, if he feels like, um, God's provision must come through this means, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of uh, promoting, like, honestly, I feel like it'd be more of a stepping out of faith to, to encourage that marriage, to encourage the time spent with family, uh, and then allow God to fill in the areas that are lacking when that person is doing what God is calling them to do yeah um you know that's uh that seems like it it would be beneficial for the whole kingdom, not just for the yeah.
1: church well, church growth and having sweet ministries that are you know fully staffed and they got big budgets and all kinds of cool things happening um that that is catnip for pastors uh, <laughs> because it's like guys love it um love it. and the, it's like catnip. you makes you feel fulfilled as a pastor. it's like yeah, I get that temptation. I get that temptation. And I so it, it's something that we have to be aware of. It's like the, the people that are in our churches are not pawns. They're right. they're they're these are human beings that we if we truly love them, we want what is best for them and we want right. to pursue what is best for them, even if that is an obstacle to our church growth goals.
0: Yeah, that's good, man. I, I think that's great. That seems like the right the right attitude to have, the right focus to have uh, in ministry. And and again, it really, it goes back to, do you trust the Lord at his word? Do you trust mm-hmm. what God says to be good? Uh, and then do you promote those things versus what the, the tangible, momentary financial or volunteer benefit would be? Um, yeah, it, it's a very, that's a very good way to look at it. Uh, I, you, earlier, you brought up the patriarchy. I love. I, I will tell you, from prior to your book, I would have not fully committed myself to the idea of the patriarchy. But in the way in which you you demonstrated in your book um, that you counter what culture complains about with the patriarchy, um, I almost feel like Satan. Uh, wants the word patriarchy to become such a bad buzzword because of the actual true good biblical implications for the patriarchy. Do you do you think, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I, patriarchy is inevitable. Um, I don't know who said it first, but uh, my friend Michael Foster, he has talked about that a, a good bit in his book, It's Good to Be a Man. Mm. Um, but patriarchy is inevitable. And that uh, fatherhood is the tracks that society runs on. Um, and to say it it is not difficult to to demonstrate that from scripture. Um, men are the builders and shapers of society, the leaders of society, and women work alongside and partner with men um, to uh, to to round it out. but but patriarchy is an inevitable thing, but patriarchy can be twisted and corrupted. So Satan is a patriarch also. Uh, Jesus mm. called him the father of lies. Yeah, So, point. So is there an evil patriarchy? Sure. Um, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. So he's a father. Um, so do we have a, so the question is not, is there patriarchy or a matriarchy? Matriarchy is not possible. It's uh, any, there's never been mm. any sort of matriarchal society ever. Um, and there might be a few examples that somebody might point to, but it is that is not even even in those cases, it's still debatable. Yeah. Um, now we have a feminized society where you're we're still run by men, but the men are feminine and weak and they are beholden to the interest of women. But it's just we have a feminized patriarchy right now. Um, but the question is like, what kind of patriarchy will you have? And, um, <laughs> yeah. obviously, the god honoring, uh, uh, Christ exalting patriarchy is is the way to go, and that's what Scripture teaches, and what what Christian men and women should both pursue. And my, there are a few women that I have, I I I really respect their stance because they're women that will speak as women about how about you know in praise of patriarchy. and that, that is helpful because we, we need to be able to acknowledge together. It's not a man versus woman, patriarchy versus women who are being forced into submission. Rather, it is men and women both who are recognizing the goodness of the world and sexuality as God designed it and saying, hey, we want to live in line with God's design rather than in rebellion against God's design.
0: That's very good, man. Uh, it's very good. I would agree with you. I think that uh, I, as I'm getting older, I've come to, uh, not be as concerned about the words that, uh, you know, I'm not as concerned about what other people think that I mean, especially if I am being as clear as, as humanly possible. Um, we're gonna be enemies of the world. Um, they're gonna, they're gonna find fault at anything that we do as believers. Um, because the, our existence agitates the spiritual darkness. Yeah. So um, I've I've gotten less and less concerned about using terms like that. Uh, considering myself to be more of a, I guess, a patriarchalist. Would you? Would that be the proper term? Like patriarchist. <laughs> like, uh, you know, there's the complementarians. There's the egalitarians. I like to think of myself as a patriarchitarian. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not a thing, but there needs to be a word for that.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there is patriarchalist. I, I guess that's that, that's uh. It's as good as any other word. You, you know what you mean.
0: You heard it here. I fo- <laughs> uh, Here first, folks. Patriarchalist. You coined a new that. term. Yeah. Um, so going into you know talking about patriarchy, talking about the the important roles that men and women have in God's plan, uh, you lay out your argument obviously in your first chapter. It's called um, God's cosmic household. Um, it that seems to, and then you kind of you use a couple different. Um, Chapters in between, you get to chapter four, which is the blueprint for the household, which is obviously uh, modeled after God's cosmic household. Um, one of the points that you made that I found to be really well done was the idea of household as we know it in society today versus how household was really looked at and considered uh, during the times that the you know first century, second century, even after the uh, New Testament was written, the we typically look at household as being, you know, mom, dad, a couple kids, dog, cat, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but your definition of it and your biblical definition of it is really more broad in terms of, you know, in households, you had far more family members living there that were not necessarily uh father or mother. You may have had a a sister of the father or you know, brother of the mother or whatever. Mm-hmm. You'd have their parents possibly living in their home and being part of their household um can you go into that a little bit more on on the difference between how we look at household today and how it would have been biblically
1: yeah we we, the the modern family we call the nuclear family and it is highly individualized and uh reduced to its most essential elements um So the modern family, um, not the TV show, but the, the the way that we think of it is mom, dad, kids, minivan house in the suburbs, and that's it. Um, that's who lives in that, at that residence. And then there's not, there's not a whole lot of continuity between the generations because every child is expected to choose their own path. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, you're a Navy man, right? Um, so to, to expect, you know, in the ancient world to be like, okay, you know, uh, Drew's family, they're Navy men. Um, and then the women who marry into that family, know this is what we're getting. We're, we're, we're marrying into a family of men that, that know how to sail the seas. Um, or, you know, a Smith family, you know, the, that, that even the name Smith came from the work that they did. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was passed down. And there's some remnants of this, uh, you know, like Jones and Sons plumbing or something like that. We do have some remnants of it, but it's, but typically there's a break, a hard break from one generation to the next. Um, And whenever one generation dies, uh, you liquidate all their assets, you do an estate sale you know, the kids will pick off, you know, I want that necklace and I'll take dad's car and whatever. And then everything else, you just kind of divide up the assets. And then the previous generation is basically non-existent and forgotten, except for maybe the name that they carry. That's the modern family. You, um, and it was like that mostly, uh, all through history until the industrial revolution. And that's what really changed it all radically in ways that we can't even calculate. Yeah. But prior to the industrial revolution, even going back to the ancient times, there was a sense of a household that was much larger. So you mentioned uh Abraham, I believe. Um Abraham Genesis mentions he had 318 fighting men born in his household. And that was Abraham's household before he had any sons or children of his own because Sarah was barren. So he had a household, but the household had 318 fighting men. Yeah. So you would think, okay, if these fighting men would be married, presumably, so you're looking at least double, but then you add in children, you're looking at possibly triple or more looking at that, you know, a thousand people or more that were part of Abraham's household. And because so in this household, you see, okay, it's not just all the people that can fit under my tent. It is this network of people. And we're, Mm. we're held together by something. So what is that something? And I argue in the book that there are four things, at least four things. You have kinship, So there's, there's, we're blood related to one another. And the second one is authority. So you have there, it's a structure. So a a household is different than let's say college roommates because roommates don't have an authority structure. You don't get, you might, if you're a, a junior and I'm a sophomore, maybe you would, uh, you know, you would be ahead of the pack a little bit, but there's no inherent logic or authority structure or cohesive glue. It's just people that live together. Right. And a household, it's like, we are all here because we're kin and there's authority and the, the authority flows from the father and then, uh, to the father is head of his wife. And then father and mother are honored by the, the generation below. And then that basic principle is kind of you have these layers of authority that can happen um, between other family members as the, as the household branches out. And and something uh, related to this is you take kinship and authority. Um, The word kin has, uh, there's some, it's debatable, but it it seems as though the word kin is related to the word king. Uh, So Mm. a kingdom is a kindom. Uh, ultimately. Now that doesn't mean everybody is blood related because, but it's a throughout, throughout, uh, and you see this in all, all different kinds of cultures, you know uh, you have the ancient Canaanite cultures, but you also see it as far away as China. Um, Different cultures have this idea that the right to rule was divine and the King was the father of his kingdom. So going back to Abraham, you got these 318 fighting men, his household, his household was was like a little mini kingdom. Yeah. Um, the other two elements are work and legacy. So there, the work is we are productive and we, there were subsistence economies in the ancient times. So there was a, uh, we, we create within our household, the goods that we need. And then we might Mm -hmm. trade with other households for what remains. And then legacy is like, there is a connection from one generation to the next. So, um, Even in, even in heaven, there, uh, there are the, the patriarchs, the 12 patriarchs of Israel. um, Mm -hmm. They're named and they are, it's like, because they are 12 ruling houses. Um, So there's a sense of continuity uh, whenever you encounter, you know, in the old Testament, um, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Meaning that there are three generations here I'll mention, but God is the father. He is the ultimate father, the ultimate monarch who rules and has all authority. And then you have this these successive generations of fathers, and they rule. And so the story of the Bible is not merely okay. There's sinners. This is this is the way it's kind of often presented in evangelical churches. You got sinners after you know the fall in Genesis three, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And I don't know what's what that's all about, but there's a bunch of Old Testament stuff. It's history and it's boring. And then Jesus came along. He died for sins, so who are saved, and then we go to heaven. I'm like that's that is like that is like a paper thin version of the story. The story actually, in all of its Technicolor, is that God commanded Adam and Eve, uh, "Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it." So, Adam and Eve, your job here Genesis one twenty six and twenty seven here's your job. Here's your marching orders blanket this planet with worshipers so that the entire planet earth is a is a is is this realm where god dwells with his people in glory the fall messed it up of course but the plot line is still set in place in genesis 1 to where we're still blanketing the earth with worshipers and it's god's dominion god's rule represented in human families human households and those human households um they are taking dominion. So it's not merely get married and have some kids. Right. If, if that, this, which is what this, the, 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 people that are in the pro singleness camp would say, it's like, oh, you're just saying I, everybody just needs to get married and have kids. What if I don't want to? And I'm like, well, the command is not merely get married because God wants to force you into some relationship. You don't want the, the normative vocation of marriage is in place because what God desires and is aiming at is a planet blanketed with worshipers. And that means godly Christian people having babies, raising them up into the nurture and admonition of the Lord as at least an essential part of the Great Commission. We also have other people that we're sharing Christ with, but raising up the seed, a godly seed has always been an essential part. I know I've said a lot of words there and uh, I'll stop. Oh,
0: that's great. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I think it, it sounds to me that we in our postmodern society have just made marriage out to be very transactional and very selfish. And yeah, um, totally. <laughs> and in, instead of, you know, so I, cause my question is going to be like, so what do we do to fix that? How do we get back to the, uh, the legacy building, the kingdom building idea? Um, because it seems like we are so far removed now in our, in our postmodern society where um, it, it seems like it's going to take, a dying off of maybe a couple generations uh, and a surge of a new generation that is is has those values instilled understands the purpose of legacy understands the purpose of kingdom building uh even on even in the micro kingdom that you know God has given us to rule over um, you know that all goes into the umbrella of God's kingdom which mm-hmm. he's constantly building so yeah I guess my question is, what do we do to get back to that? How do we teach our uh, our congregations and how do we teach our children to value that, to make to to course correct to get us back to where we need to be?
1: Yeah. Oh man, that's a that's a that's a great question.
0: In four words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take dominion. Uh, yes. That's Amen. two words. Um,
0: so I so I think that there
1: has to be. I mean, pendulums do swing right now. We're in, you know, I, I don't, how, how much further left can we swing? It seems like we're, we're, you know, we've swung into utter chaos right now on, at least on the political left and the sexual revolution. Yeah. Um, the good news, um, uh, I don't know if it's good news. Um, I would say the strategic advantage is that, uh, those people don't want children. Right. Um, and so many of
0: them cannot reproduce.
1: Right. So if you're gay, then you've already chosen sterility. Um, but if you know, but they, they they just say there's no value there. They see human as human human beings as a blight on the planet. So, um, so I think the antidote to that, and as you say, it's not going to happen in in ten years unless God just works miraculously right. through the normal course of just working through, um, yeah, the, the cause and effect. It's going to be, it has to be at least, a, a, you know, at the core, a return to the household. And, um, we have to godly men and women that do everything they can to focus on passing down the faith to the next generation. And that's going to mean hard decisions for that husband and wife, um, for them to say, okay, Reverse engineer the goal. Um, you know, I like to think of what it like. Think think of in terms of you know a goal. I, I would tell a young man this especially if your goal is not merely get married and have some kids. That's that goal is too small. Uh, you want to be thinking about your great grandchildren being committed disciples of Christ. And then if that's your goal, then reverse engineer what's it going to take to ensure that seventy years from now your great grandchildren and all the spouses and all the people in between are committed disciples. Right. Um, it's going to be okay. I need to choose a certain kind of woman and we're going to have to order our household in a certain kind of way. Um, we're going to have to divide our labor to where our kids are not being shipped off to a government school where they're going to be indoctrinated in LGBTQ queer theory. Um, yep. But they're going to be taught by mom and dad and other believers what it means uh, to walk with God faithfully and to, uh, you know, Christian scripture. Um, and, so that that is at least one stream of of action is the household. If we don't win the household, then uh, we're not going to win. Um, we're and I believe we will win. So the household is a part of it. The church has to be a a, a useful partner. Um, churches like pastors have got to stop this winsome pandering um, to godless ideologies for the sake of sparing yeah. the feelings of our congregants. We have to love people enough to, to promote that, which is good and true and be willing to see people leave and go to the, the big mega church down the street. Um, and that's okay. We just, we have to be okay with that. And, and to crucify our own church growth idols in order to be, uh, I would, we we need to be willing to lose people and have smaller churches with better disciples. Um, and churches, churches have to teach this, um, I've had people ask me like, Hey, would this, would this book uh, be good for me to take some, you know, high school or college young men through? And I'm like, that's the perfect people to talk to. Um, because they, in, in a church, you can build a culture, uh, this way. So I think it's, it's, it's the household first, it's the church second. Um, and from there, as it, as it plays out, there has to be some, some sense that we need to take dominion and we cannot like Christians are afraid of, they they've bought into the marxist thing of um if you if you seek power or if you desire power then that is that is wicked and jesus kingdom is not of this world or whatever I'm like that that all of that is nonsense christians need to be in positions of power so that we can implement um the 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 morality of god and as we've seen in our culture law is a teacher um, yes pre obergefell legalizing gay marriage supreme court decision people were not in favor of gay marriage or at least it was right on the it it, it was it was a pretty even split i don't remember the exact numbers but after a burger fell look at what we've got now you've got naked men parading in front of children during pride month uh and that's and and is being celebrated and honored because yeah We are affected by our politics, so I think we Christians have to be unafraid and unashamed. My friend Dusty Devers is running for a senate seat, state senate seat in Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm like, we need more men like that who have the guts to say all the unpopular, controversial things, and to do so with with a smile and with joy and with supreme confidence in God's word, and that will people that that will trigger the cry bullies, and we have to just live with that, but that will also inspire yes. the next generation of people to say, like, Hey, I, I don't have to just surrender everything I value and love to this culture. Um, I, I, it, but it, it, we got to play the long game. It, it yeah. Unless, unless it, something miraculous happens, it's a, it's a 50 to a hundred year project. Most likely.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I love that you brought up dusty. Uh, I think he's, um, he, he has already inspired people with a boldness to be unafraid to speak about these things, from a political realm uh, with a godly worldview. Um, and it just takes one, you know, it really does just take the the one person to say, I'm gonna put myself out there. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be ashamed. I'm gonna boldly proclaim these truths. Uh, and I, I think we're seeing it, um, you know, I. I don't know if you follow um, on Twitter. There's a young man who is the president for, I think, the Republican group over in Liberty University. His name is Jesse Hughes. Um,
1: Hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen him. Yeah,
0: he's a guy that I don't know. There's something about him seeing at his age. uh, He's he's so young. And yet he is he's sitting under the guys like Stephen Wolf's, the William Wolf's, even the uh, Dusty Devers folks. Uh, and he's seeing the reaction from the world towards it, but it isn't in any way compelling him to cower. He is becoming even more bold, uh, and uh, it's going to be guys like that. I think you're right. It's going to be, it's a long game. Um, we, you know, it it makes my position as youth pastor, I mean, it even, it it opens it up to even being so much more, uh, important in the church. Uh, and I kind of take the I'm not, you know, when I came into this position, it I did not want it to be a social event or, you know, it's just a place for you to drop your kids off that happened to come to our church. Like mm-hmm. I really, truly believe that we are building the next generation at that level, and they need to hear even if it's in doses, because, you know, young people's attention span is terrible, you know, as, <laughs> as, as it's been through generations, it's not just, you know, it's not just because of the TikTok generation, but you know, that does play a role into it. Um, but yeah, inspire like solidifying their foundations with the truth, um, not playing these, you know, games where guys or groups like gospel coalition would say, you know, talk about the gift of singleness. It's just, uh, giving over, giving them over to just the world, but really Mm -hmm. stabilizing them. Um, Youth pastors, I think, have such a a high calling because a lot of the folks, I mean, you may see this in your ministry. A lot of the older folks are very, they're pretty much set in their ways. Um, It takes, it seems to take a lot longer to convince, like if you were to introduce a new doctrine to your church that they had never heard of before, but you were convinced of, It would take the older generation that much longer to embrace Mm -hmm. that doctrine than if you're teaching it at a level to the youth, uh, because then eventually they're going to be that older generation. They're going to be the ones that are that are, um, you know, the those folks in the church. So, um, yeah, for sure, man, it's so important. Uh, I like that you brought that up about the. um, The long game. You know, we, yeah. we shouldn't be frustrated when it doesn't happen in our time uh, or in the timeline that we think it should happen.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Very good. All right. So let's move on a little bit. Uh, I don't want to keep you for too long. We're coming up on an hour, but I do want to touch on a few more of these topics here. Um, the men and women are different chapter. That was I mean, very elementary in a lot of senses uh unfortunately for the world probably not very <laughs> elementary for them but yeah. uh for for most people i would think that you you lay out a pretty a pretty solid argument for you know the importance of a woman's role the importance of a man's role um there is when either of them attempt to do the other uh it it usually devolves into confusion um, mm-hmm. and so you, you lay out some very solid arguments there, um, boys becoming fathers and blessed motherhood. Let's talk about, uh, cause we're talking about the younger generations. Walk me through those two chapters, um, you know, emphasizing on, on a boy sexuality and, and all of those things. And then, uh, girls.
1: Yeah. Uh, f- so for, for, uh, boys, um, there's a, I believe it was, uh, Leon Puddle's book, uh, the church impotent. I first heard this, um, but it's the idea of a masculine journey. And it, I, I think it's a really important concept. And the more I've thought about it, the more, um, the more relevant and important, I think it is for, uh, for the, for the church to really understand in terms of raising boys, raising boys and raising girls are, are different, um, not merely it's like, okay, we gotta be a little bit sweeter with the girls and a little bit tougher on the boys. it's it's more than that because there are vocations that we would expect, each of them to fulfill. Um, and biologically, a when a mother gives birth to a daughter, um, let's say a mother gives a birth to any child, that child psychologically does not really understand a separation from him or herself and mom there's just this the bond is so great uh the mom feeds the child the mom is is holds the child so it's like this this strong bond and even prior to birth biologically it's like they were (laughs) both of them were housed within the same body um so after the child is born um for a little girl as she progresses through life um, she progresses naturally from childhood into womanhood. And typically a, whenever she gets her period, she is considered a woman. She is of a, of, of a, this, this, not that we would do it or think it's wise or prudent, but that, that was an age of marriage uh, to where it's like, she is, she's physically mature. She, can bear, she yeah. can bear children. Right. Yeah. So it's like, she, at least biologically speaking is of a marriageable age and she passes seamlessly into it. she, came from her mother, um, she bonded with her mother, and then she passes into uh, womanhood and then eventually into motherhood. And there really isn't um, any need for for breaking that continuity. But for a boy, um, he has to learn at some point to break from his mother. And that means he needs to learn some independence from her, and he needs to... Uh, p- you know, Pottles, uh, he even... The way that he explains it in his book, he says like even just the the, the chromosomal differences, and I think he probably, it's at least interesting, uh, if if not really a, you know, it's not the slam dunk, case closed kind of thing. But chromosomally, you have um, girls are XX chromosomes. There's no differentiation, but for boys, it's XY, and so there is a there there's a need for a differentiation of a boy. And so the the thought here is that as a boy grows up he needs to separate from his mother and kind of uh, join the community of men. And from the community of men, it's like he is introduced and initiated into manhood. Mm. And so he kind of leaves mother as a dependent. He learns independence and the best place to learn is from a father, but more broadly from the community of men. And then his father raises him up so that way he is able to return to a relationship with a woman this time as a provider and a leader. Amen. Um, so it's like he has to go from a dependent and then come back as a leader, whereas a girl doesn't need to do that. Um, that's really important because it's like we need to, I think we're m- boys in our society are overmothered. Oh, yeah. And boys resent that. Um, mothers think, well, he knows he's loved, he's cared for. And I, you know, my And this is this is a normal conversation. My wife and I, it's not a conflict, but it is a conversation. But we do have this conversation where she wants to nurture him and mother him and take care of him. And she does so because she loves him and wants him to know he's loved. And he needs that. He also needs his dad to come along and say, babe, you got to let the boy grow up. And that means that he's got to make his own decisions. He's got to make his own mistakes. He's got to screw up and fail and fall flat on his face. And then we'll be there to help him pick him up and say, son, what did you learn? Um, That's what dads do. We're raising a generation. uh, We're now, you know, multiple generations into this experiment socially (laughs) where we have boys that don't have dads, especially inner city, especially uh, with black families um, a lot of these boys don't have active and da- actively involved dads who care for them, but they have over, uh, overbearing mothers. And I see a connection between an overbearing mother and homosexuality. I see that as a connection, but also hyper masculinity, which some might, might we call toxic masculinity mm-hmm. where you didn't have a man, a father that loves and is invested in a child, his son, because he's going to carry on his name. Um, when you don't have that you have boys learning manhood on their own and figuring it out in more of a gang style. It's like, well, being a man is, uh, you know, how many girls can you sleep with right. or, um, how, how violent can you be? Make. Yeah. How much money you make or, you know, whatever, what, wh- however they define it in their, in their community is how they're, they're going to define manhood for themselves. And there's no social pressure for boys to grow up any other way. Um, and that's, that's devastating. And I think what we're going to have, you know, going back to our conversation before about the long game, you're going to have Christians and godly families, hopefully, that continue to uphold what we uphold. And then there's going to be this rising number of people that really are miscreants. Um, and I'm I'm not, I know I mentioned the black family, I'm just saying that this is true across our whole society of any race. Yes. But you're going to have people that are, they're not fit for society. Um, and so we're, there's going to, there's going to be some breaking point, uh, because in a, in a normal, healthy society, you can tolerate 10% or 5% of your society being unproductive miscreants. What we're going to have going forward is 30, 40% or more people that have no concept of taking responsibility, no concept of, of, any sort of civil duty, uh, duty for, for our society, patriotism, all these things were, th- were thrown out to where we're, we're having chaos and what's going to come in to bring order is going to be an overbearing state because that's going to be the only thing with the power to deal with the problem. Wow. But even then the state isn't going to be able to do it effectively unless it becomes a fear-based tyranny. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's why I think like the, the, the future has to include, um, christians that have a high sense of their civic duty but also uh fathers who are raising up um their young men so that way we're we're tr- we to some degree we it, it may just come down to out um the alternative and yeah. but that but we can't just like you know the old saying um conservatives reproduce in the bedroom and liberals in the classroom, in the classroom we can't yeah we can't just have babies and assume, okay, well, we take them to church once a week. They're going to be Christians. Like we have to raise them. So right. those two chapters, like what I would say, and I don't make this a law that I would try to impose, but man, the wisdom is timeless and so urgent. But I would say as much as possible, you need young boys seeing their duty is I need to grow up to be a father. And that means take being the provider and leader of a wife and many children. and. uh and, and taking responsibility in all ways. And then for girls to grow up thinking, um, the society tells them go up and dream of being an astronaut, being a lawyer, being a doctor, whatever. And, and what they're saying is like, your career has got to be your first focus. Um, and I think that's, that, that is not the way forward. We need women who say my calling has got to be this total dedication to these children. Because that's they're going to need that kind of dedication and wisdom from a mother in order to uh, produce the sort of citizens that we need in our society, let alone the fact that it is what honors God and is our Christian responsibility. So that's yeah, kind that's, of the big idea of those two chapters.
0: That's great, man. It reminds me of uh, I think it was Doug Wilson that I was reading he said something along the lines of uh, a man builds the the structure of the home, but the wife makes it a home i think you you actually echo that too yeah uh, it's you know the the men build people, houses
1: women make homes that yeah, kind of idea
0: yeah yeah i mean the the throw pillows and the uh <laughs> you know the, the paintings on the wall like it it truly it comes from a place that men typically don't have ingrained in them uh but yet there is something so special uh as a man uh, particularly when I was still active duty, you know, my wife would stay at, she'd stay at home. She taught the kids. Um, there is nothing like the peace of a home that is well kept by a godly woman.
1: Oh uh, yes. Amen. There is,
0: there's, there's nothing like it, man. I mean, it doesn't matter how rough my day was. Uh, I remember one specific instance, uh, we had, uh, I had a bunch of, a, a group of Marines that worked for me. Um, when I was in uh, Bremerton, Washington, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, one of those Marines had taken their life. uh, Hmm. And it was, uh, it was a very difficult day for the leadership and particularly um, in my in my little platoon. Um, And I was just devastated, man, like the whole day uh, was rough, you know, and we're putting we're pulling 12 hour days, you can't just leave to go, you know, mourn and (laughs) grieve, you have to go you, you got to take right. care of business. Um, but I tell you, when I came home, I mean, I kept it, I held it together dude, all day. I mean, I was a mess, but I held it together in order to make sure that my guys, you know, knew that, you know, it was going to be okay. Uh, but the second I got home and I saw my wife, I broke down hmm. in tears, just like unleashed everything emotional that was inside of me. Um, and then I moved on. But if I didn't have that peace, if I didn't have the home that my wife had built and the, and the the sacredness of it, that really only a godly woman can, can do, yeah, um, you know, who knows how I would have reacted. Would I have bottled it up? Would I have, you know, would I have drank and drank and drank and, you know, try to drown out my, my own emotions. I mean um, that was a, an actual tangible thing that my, my wife was able to provide for me because she's a godly woman who was in charge of a godly home um Mm. so yeah things like that man i I think uh you, you you present a fantastic argument for that uh you lay it out again like i said at the beginning you know you don't just come up with these great ideas you come up with them because they come from a biblical standpoint and those that want to love and honor the lord um should heed the words that God has given us to live by, um, yeah. and so uh, yeah. I guess um, really looking at the rest of your chapter, we've covered we've really covered quite a bit um, just in conversation. Would you? Is there anything particular that you would want to before we we close out of here uh, to discuss or talk about or make sure that people understand regarding uh, particularly your book?
1: Um. Uh, yeah a couple of things I could say really quickly the 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 church is a household a household of God and it is patterned after the household uh, mm-hmm. of the family and that uh, that's not an argument that I hear uh, being made often about the way the church is ordered mm-hmm. um but the church is ordered after the household pattern and so that's People often talk about, well, why can't we have women preachers? And, you know, that's as though that's some arbitrary oppressive right. measure uh, imposed on women. When really it's like, well, it's because um, there's the church is a household. And just as the husband is the head of the household, you need male elders being the fathers of the church. And they need to take the lead, they need to take the responsibility to teach. And just as Adam failed in the garden, uh, whenever he, uh, whenever he like he followed the lead of his wife, Right, churches make the same mistake whenever they say hey let's let's elevate these women to positions of authority and leadership and and voice uh as a way to honor them and i'm like that's the sin of Adam uh repeating itself in the church um so that's that's a i, I just say that the household structure it, it 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 really is a um something that you just see that that, that applies throughout like the cosmic household and then it's um has these other expressions in our in our human life. So I yeah, that's just the uh a little snapshot of what yeah that's the good. That I mean is.
0: even uh I heard another thing from Doug Wilson uh regarding <laughs> that uh even the act of you know the liturgy on a Sunday is a it it's a example of um gender roles you know there is a um the the pastor, the elder preaching is, um, is, is putting out a word that is to be received by the body, the body being the feminine mm-hmm. kind of mm. um, role of the church, uh, of the way that the church works. I mean, uh, it is all, if you really think about it, you spend a lot of time kind of dissecting it, you see the same patterns, you see the same mm. design from the very beginning, just like what you said, uh, with God's intent. Uh, and the way that it works. And so it, it, when you see that, it's it's just, it's continued confirmation that um, as we follow the word, as we follow the patterns that God has laid out, uh, you know, intentionally, God is going to bless those things uh, because it's the way that he's said it should be. And, and yeah. we honor those things. So very good. Um, all right, my friend. Well, is, is there, do you have any um any touring? Are you going to be speaking anywhere anytime soon? Do you have any books, com- more books coming out in the future?
1: I, I don't have any uh, specific books planned. Uh, I'd okay. like to write. I'd like to write again. I don't have any books planned. Um, I do have a conference. So there's a couple of conferences I'll be speaking at. The the um, the one that I can mention here is uh, a conference that we're hosting here in Cincinnati. Okay. Um, it's called Gendered Virtue, Men and Women Who Take Dominion and the a lot of the concepts that we've been talking about today are are what we're we'll be talking about at the conference and it's not a marriage conference um but it is for married people and singles and anybody that cares about this but it is i think uh anybody would be edified by it uh but we're talking about household building dominion um the speakers are um joe rigney michael foster um shane morris toby sumter uh, Matt McBee, who's a local friend of mine, and uh, myself. Awesome. Um, and uh, this is this is really funny. I don't know who did this. I think a man of my church did it. Uh, oh. But he bought the URL, moscowmood.com. <laughs> and if you go to moscowmood.com, it'll take you to our conference website. Oh,
0: so if anybody's man.
1: interested, uh, check that out. And so that's in April, 18 to 20 of next year here in Cincinnati. Nice. Our church is a big um so we'll there's space for about 200 um so it'll be a it'll be more of an intimate small conference which i think will be great to get to know i mean these are these are guys i cannot wait to interact with and uh and spend more time with personally um and so i think that'll be one of the biggest benefits you get to interact with some some uh names that i think will be very helpful
0: yeah man i i'm so encouraged bro i i tell you uh between uh, hearing and reading what you've put out, uh, hearing the guys, you know, the Moscow guys that are putting out content all the time, that are putting out good information. Uh, guys like Joel Webbin, even uh, out of Texas, that are just standing, you know, unafraid to stand on biblical truth, um, really focused on kingdom building. I mean, I, I I know that the world is trying to paint Christian nationalists in this light of, you know, of being, you know, white supremacists the Nazis and, Nazis and all of it. Yeah, exactly. But, um, I tell you, I, it, it seems like this is, this is going to be the beginning of some sort of godly revival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm believing for it. I mean, I'm hoping yeah. for it. Uh, I think that, uh, I think we're going to see the church, uh, getting back to their roots on these things. I think we're going to see the church getting back to their roots on, uh, supernatural things i think guys like the no, cosmos yeah. guys are are doing a huge kingdom work that yeah. is is really opening up a new realm uh an unseen realm as mm. you may say <laughs> uh, but opening up a new realm to uh for christians to to make sense of the world and i think when the when the blueprints are laid out whether it's in gender and sexuality or in the supernatural when those blueprints are laid out and the truth is exposed, uh, it's going to draw people to it and people are going to be emboldened, uh, in, in a godly way and encouraged. And, um, mm-hmm. I think we're gonna, we're going to see our own, maybe a new reformation in some ways where we've kind of, we, we build upon what the, the found, you know, our founding reformation fathers have, have began with, a uh, began in themselves. We're going to build on that, um, and who knows what the church is going to look like 100, 200 years from now. But yeah. I'm so encouraged, man. I, I It sounds like that's you great. are, too. I yeah. feel like you're encouraged, too, because you wouldn't do this if you weren't, right? If it was yeah. a lose down here thing, what's the point? You know, you just kind of, you give it half an effort, maybe a little yeah. bit. But when we're, uh, when, when <sighs> God has laid out his legacy, uh, you know, men are going to be motivated to do that. And I think that's a gender, a godly gender thing, too. We're motivated by other men taking a stand so yeah um all Amen. right well where we can find you on twitter where else are you at on the socials uh
1: twitter's the i, I mean i have a facebook account too um michael just michael clary um uh, I, I, i'm more active on twitter um d michael clary is my handle there uh and then in my bio on twitter there's a sub stack that i uh, have some, you know, I, I write, I publish articles there every couple of weeks or something like that. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, Twitter, Substack, and I, I mean, I've, I've got some other, uh, I've got a YouTube channel, uh, called, uh, plain speech podcast, uh, that is just, I'm just now getting it off the ground. Awesome. Um, so there's a, there's a, a you know, a third place where I'm pretty active.
0: That's great. And I I do follow your Substack, and uh, I'm also on Substack as well. I think it's a a great platform. So, uh, yeah, if people are out there, you want to, you want more of Michael Clary, you you like what he said today, uh, like what he's talked about, please go pick up his book, God's Good Design. I'll show it there up on the screen if you're, if you're watching (laughs) along. Um, It is, it's good. And really, it was not hard for me to, uh, to get through. A lot of books, sometimes it's a slow burn, and, you know, I just, I chug through in order to, To get to the end of it but this was not that for me at all uh it was very easy to listen to you do the audio on the uh thing so it's even more personalized because you get to hear you get to emphasize it the way that you want to i think there's Mm -hmm. value in that too uh so go out check it out guys if you haven't yet uh if you have go read it again or give it to a friend and tell them about it and uh
1: Leave, Leave, a review review. <laughs> Leave a review on
0: Amazon. Leave a review on Amazon. I will do that as well. Thank you, Michael, for uh, for coming out here today, man. Is there yeah, any, thanks, the, any last words? You got anything else? We're going to win. We're going to win. Amen. Praise yep. God. All right. <laughs> All right. Stick around for a few minutes afterwards. And uh, thanks, guys, for checking us out. Episode 50 is in the bag. We'll see you next week with who knows who. We'll, find, we'll figure that out this week. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.